Hello everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast about teaching you competitive tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on my left our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And on my right, our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Hello, everyone. Well, now that we've settled into the new normal here, our new routine, why don't we get started in with a topic that is, I think we're all going to have some opinions on, specifically the release schedule for the game. Opinions? Us? Yeah, I know. It's it's a bit of a stretch, but I'm pretty sure each of us can come up with at least one opinion. <laughs> well, I'm allowed to have mine, and I definitely do. Yeah. What do you think about the release schedule? Because I think a lot of people have kind of... I don't know if there's actually been any discussion about it, but a lot of people do have a capital O opinion. So, my opinion of the latest release schedule is a good one. Um, and to my understanding, it has never been like this before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm lucky and I get to live in what some people are calling the golden age of competitive 40k. Um, and I'm happy and blessed to be here. <laughs> But this is this is all kind of coming from a place of does the re- it, the release schedule is good. Uh, we're seeing a lot of books and a lot of content uh, get produced in a timely manner and quality content, with the exception of, of some things. Um, and I like to look at it in a what is GW doing? And you have you have you have good, you have fast, and you have cheap. Um, if they're going to take a long time producing something uh, that they're going to push out, mm-hmm. it's they they lose the cheap part of it. Um, but they also got the good and fast, uh, you know, aspects of this. Sure. So you, it's a it's a it's a situation where you only get to pick two of those three options, uh, and that is kind of what happens with any release. Hmm. And some of these things are planned out farther than we know, and some of these things are tested in you know secret labs and. <laughs> <laughs> Far before we could ever realize the genius that is behind it, or it might be simpler than that. I don't know. Um, but the the schedule kind of lines up in sync with do they also update? Um, for me, I feel the codex schedule is it, it takes a very long time because we have so many factions uh, and so many different people writing these books, and sometimes some books are better than others because they have different writing teams, and that's a different conversation all on its own. Um, at the end of the day. We're looking at a situation where the meta never becomes stale, um, and that is vital to a competitive game. Yeah, I think there's actually a lot to be said for a quicker release schedule in that sense because it does keep things from ever becoming completely settled. Um, And that's true for both codexes and supplements, um, because both of those, as we've seen recently, can kind of like upset the balance of where the game is at. Um, and, and also kind of an, uh, an often underestimated part of that is the FAQs. Um, we are seeing fairly regular FAQ releases, which is good. They've also shown that they're willing to jump in and do an FA, FAQ when needed. Um, be maybe a little bit later than should have happened, but they're still willing to break their schedule to do that. And all of those can also provide very significant upsets to the way the game is functioning, in a good way. And that's what makes it okay uh, with them getting some things wrong. Yeah. Um, Where in prior editions, if they got something wrong, you're just stuck with it. Yes. I I remember the dark days of 6th and 7th where, like, something would come out and we'd all look at it and be like, well... 
that's just how it's gonna be for two years. Or more. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, GW has caught on um, to literally every other competitive game ever. (laughs) (laughs) To this thing called patch notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And being able to modify their game and either do things about their meta um, to make their game playable. Uh, This is new to me that this wasn't a thing before. It astounds me. Um, But that's actually what makes it okay for them to have such a rapid release schedule and have so many rules from so many different writers and so many different teams coming all at the same time. Because, like, this this game is, at the end of the the day, has, you know, millions of different variables that could happen and millions of different interactions. And nobody can truly see the future of what exactly is going to happen, even with the greatest playtesters in the world. Yeah. The fact they have playtesters now. Yeah, that's, that's a step up. <laughs> Shailene, I'm actually kind of curious your view on this, because you're essentially a mono-faction player, whereas both Ben and I own half a dozen different armies that we swap between on a pretty regular basis. Um, how, does, how does this sort of thing come across to you? So, I was really cynical. Yeah. I got real cynical there, because it was like, well, some factions they put energy into, and some they very clearly don't. Um, Tyranids, for example, seems to be not locked right now. And it's the imbalance of the attention is distinct, especially if you're in one of the not-beloved factions. Though mm. apparently they have shown, with the Granites update, that they are capable of fixing something that was utterly broken. Yeah, um... It- my opinion would be that they are working to show more love to these unappreciated factions. Um, maybe not as much as they should, but it's certainly better than they've done in the past with your faction. Uh, yes, which is, we don't know how your faction works or what it should do, so good luck. Yeah, uh, the, the Grey Knights of 6th and 7th were in a pretty dire place. Uh... There's the invisible shift too of like of the meta changing around you where your army might suddenly become better because another army rises and you end up being that army's counter. Yes. <laughs> uh which I think is very much at least in part the case for Grey Knights right now. Yeah, uh they are a distinct counter to possessed bombs now. That and pretty good against regular Space Marines, too, because they do what a Space Marine does, but more so, and uh, have mortal wounds against a faction that does not like that. Uh, it turns out mortal wounds is a pretty good gimmick. Yes, it is. Especially when you double it. It it sounds like we're, for the most part, in agreement that like the, the faster release schedule like this is generally a good thing. Um, uh, the fact that they were willing to break the schedule for the Space Marine problem, because we were sitting there like, okay, we're waiting for spring FAQ, it's going to be literally more months of this. And then it wasn't. And I was like, right. that's nice. Yeah. Well... And I think of all the things you can say about 8th edition, there was a lot of stuff that GW did positively, but at the end of the day, the best takeaway is that the number one improvement they made was they started listening to the players and started paying attention to what's happening in the game. So let's get into the actual topic of this episode, which is things bad players say. We have caveats again. We do. Um, Just leading this whole episode off, the the reason we're doing this episode and the whole thrust of it is not that we want to call out anyone in the community. It's not that we want to insult any particular type of player or any level of skill of player. When we say bad player here, we don't necessarily mean unskilled player. What we really are talking about is bad mental habits. 
and mental habits that are going to keep you from growing as a player. And players of all skill levels need to grow. Um, it may be in some ways easier for a player at the lower end of the spectrum to grow, um, but that isn't to say that the people at the top end aren't climbing also. Uh, because I guarantee you that Nick Notavati learns something new every day he plays 40k. Uh, because if he's not, he's going to fall behind. Um, so, when we say things bad players say, what we really mean are mental blocks that are going to stop you from growing and improving as a player and as a person. And a clarification of this is, reasons are not excuses. Sure. Because sometimes, like... Bad dice legitimately happen to you, and you lose seven paladins in one Overwatch phase randomly. It does happen. Right. At the same time, focusing on that is not going to help you win that game or get any better. Um, so you need to look at what else happened in that game that you could have done better. Exactly. A other habit, and this is one I have uh, from both autism and dealing with my own depression, is when you catch yourself saying these things... What you need to do is say, no, no, wait. Say this something like, if only I'd had more reps. Man, I need to study my opponent's book more. What did I learn from my loss? If you hear these thoughts in your head, this is a time to correct yourself and try to grow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a, a personal note for me. And that's not just in that game or right as you think it, but if you walk away from a game going wow, that happened, um, and you're feeling bad about it or tilted or losing that mental game, sometimes it can actually take you a couple days or even the next week mm -hmm. to be like, oh, okay, um, I, I understand this now. Sometimes you don't really see the pieces come together of what exactly you could have done or why you were thinking that. And understanding what the things are going to go over, why they're quote-unquote bad, um, we're going to kind of extrapolate why those quotes are bad and what you could probably think instead. Yes, uh, because that is what we want to do is we don't want this episode to come off as negative. We want to, like we say in the opening, teach you tips and strategies you can use to overcome these mental blocks. Uh, because these aren't just things that are said by bad players. All players have these thoughts, but good players learn to move past them. And that's what we want to kind of put out there. So let's go through a few of them. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have you a little audio treat for all of you guys in the listener land, uh, as we have recruited a number of our good friends uh, to read these quotes out for us. So you get to hear a few different voices. So let's go ahead and start out with the first one here. I mean, I would have won if my dice weren't so cold. Okay, yeah. So we have all had just the worst dice luck during a game. It's a thing that happens to all of us. Fresh from the freezer. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, in fact, I had one just this past weekend where I rolled some intensely bad Terminator saves, and it, it didn't go real well for me. Um, and that can be super frustrating and hard to deal with. I had, I had to like sit down and, and take some time away from the table uh, to recover it. And that's understandable. Um, that's, you know, that's a fairly natural reaction to have. But you can't let that throw you off your game because your dice are going to be good sometimes and your dice are going to be bad sometimes. Uh, I can a comment, since uh, it was a team game and I was also involved in this matchup, I misused the terrain that game and I misused some psychic ordering because I was out of practice. So those are two other factors that really screwed us over. 
that Sean had little control over. Right. Yeah, with the with the dice getting cold, some people like to forget all the other bad things they did that game. Yes. It becomes like the crutch, the thing to blame, the thing that um the thing that they're kind of saying their dice is cold. And I run into situations where I'm playing against players like, oh, my dice are so cold. And I kind of math it out really quick. And I'm like, well, it's only like one dice below average. That, that's that's not that bad. Or they're rolling average or they're just rolling average and they're complaining about their dice. I'm like, mm-hmm. why are you complaining? You're you're rolling. the. That's exactly the way the dice should be. Or they rolled the like, you know, two or three below average on one roll and three above average on the next roll. It's like, well, that's just statistics. Like, the average is not actually what you get most of the time. Blaming your dice is, I think, far and away the easiest and most common of the mental crutches I see in this game. The thing I have done to make myself not do that is I look at all of my dice rolls like, this is a little above average, that's a little below average, that's noticeably above average, and I keep a mental tally going because if I have a realistic sense of how my dice are actually doing, which is random, mm-hmm. um, then I know not to get tilted over it being especially bad. Remember, I'm like, it happens. Yeah, good dice and bad dice do happen to all players, but um, good players move past whatever happens with the dice, and that's what I think you really want to take away from this. Yeah, you have to be able to plan around either or happening on either your opponent's side or your side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can't count, never count above math, never, ever, ever count above math. And you're going to walk away from a game tilted when run, one roll changes, when one roll changes your outcome. Yeah. Um, however, like for that one time that bad thing happened, there are probably three times you forgot about where you had great dice and it, the game just went your way. Um, you're going to remember the bad things. You're not going to remember the good. That's a feature of kind of like human perception of statistics and events is we very easily remember bad things. We very rarely remember good things. Um, You need to learn to take that bias into account. And you may feel that your dice were bad that game, and maybe you're right, maybe you're not, but your feelings are not going to help you win that game. So you need to be ready to set that aside and keep playing anyways. And, And have plans for when your dice go bad. Because that's a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. So so let's look at another one that I is kind of related to this and we see a ton of. I would have won if I passed that charge. Whew. Gross. Man, I hate failing charges. That is... Yeah. That is bad feels. It is. Um, but that's the nature of these binary events like this. If you base your whole game plan on, I need to do this one thing, then you're setting yourself up for a bad time. You need to be ready for any one of your roles to go either way. Yeah, you can't game plan around any one role. Whether it's a charge roll, whether it's a, you know, go first roll. Well, not so much in the new rules so much. Well, yes. (laughs) Um, But you you can't base around any one role. And I think the charge phase is the most mistaken phase as far as where people have like a weird perception of it yeah um, sp- specifically with arriving from reserves there are so many people there that like they yeah they have their game plan there they make a nine inch charge i'm like you understand that a nine inch charge is not easy to come by like there there's a lot of failure there you you gotta you gotta shore up or do something um you can't just count on your deep strikers making their charge it, it's it's not something you can do yeah so as someone who runs deep strikers all the bloody time mm-hmm 
the percentage via Math Hammer is 28% success off a 9-inch charge with no modifiers. Mm -hmm. That's about a quarter of the time. Not a third, a quarter. Yeah. And even with re-rolls, say if you have a full re-roll or re-roll one die or, you know, either or both the way that uh, orcs and some of the factions get, you know, your best case odds are still maybe 60% there. And a lot of people are going to say, like, well, 60%, that's more than half the time. It's like, sure, but keep in mind how many charges you're rolling over the course of the game and how likely it is that you'll fail any given set of them. 40% is pretty likely that you'll fail. It is not at all implausible that you will fail 10 60% in a row with not a single one of them passing. That is not an unusual event. Um, it's not the most likely one, but if that happens to you during a game, you should just be like, huh, well, that's what it is sometimes. Yeah, those are they're game-changing events. Let's not get this wrong. This is still a thing that happened. This particular quote has some weird conceptions because some people plan out their turns way out in advance, mm -hmm. all kind of built around this idea that that charge is going to be made. Well, uh, what do you mean, like, you're... You don't know what I might like if you don't understand my army and how I'm going to interact, whether it be heroic intervenes or are you planning on your roles being average or above average once you're actually in that fight phase? Are you trying to wrap me? Right. There's a lot of things that people are kind of like predicating or have an idea what they're going to do. And this is that at that very beginning to the end is when things can fall apart um, and your opponent can interact with you. You can have things go wrong beyond that, even if you made your charge. So they once again, they kind of lean on that on that. Oh, if only I made my charge. And it's like. Are, are you sure that just just making that charge kind of, you know, really gets you where you wanted to be? Yeah. I guess the easiest way to say that is you, you got to kind of have that planned out one thing at a time, um, and you got to be able to be prepared to fail it. Yeah, your plan should include failure at some point, um, because not everything is going to go the way you want it to. And the way I look at charges is, if I make them, yay! If I don't make them, ah, well, whatever, it wasn't going to happen anyways. Right. And just sort of like taking this even a little bit more broadly, um, if your game boils down to, I would have won if that one thing hadn't happened, well, you shouldn't have been planning your entire game around that one thing. Um, good players usually have set themselves up to win in multiple ways, no matter what happens. But bad players are going to predicate their plan on everything going the way they want it to. And that's why it won't work. Yeah, I think I'll close this one with the fact that um, my recent experiences when I kind of changed my attitude on charges, because at the beginning of my play period, I relied a lot on nine-inch charges between the jump and whatnot. Um, and as I adjusted my play skill and my ability to understand what exactly the chances of making a charge are, um, I failed a lot less charges. Right. I set myself up to make better charges. I put myself in a position where it didn't matter if I failed. Yeah. Um, I was at a GT recently where I failed a nine inch charge after the jumping some tank busters and they're like, well, you know, you, you shouldn't have, they, they kind of like questioned the play. They're like, that, that seemed a little bit weird. I'm like, oh, that's gravy if they make their charge. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan on them making their charge. I, I had a game plan if they did. It was cool, but that, that, was, that was not part of my game plan if they made it. It's just gravy. And that's, I think that's a really good way to approach it. I would like this to happen. If it doesn't happen, I still have a plan. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's move into, uh, I think, another one that is maybe a pet peeve of some of ours. 
Um, can you give me list advice, but also don't change anything about my list, please? All right. I'm going to be straight here. I understand that models are expensive and it takes time to build them, but uh-huh. you gotta be a little bit more flexible if you want to go forward with a list. Yeah, and not just lists. I also see the same mentality for players of, you know, oh, I don't know what I could have done differently this game. It's like, well, you could have done this and that. And he's like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. Well, then I'm not sure why you're asking for advice. Um, if you're reaching out to people and asking, how can I change my army? How can I change my game plan? How can I improve as a player? You have to be willing to change. Uh, it doesn't work otherwise. You can't just expect to keep doing the same thing and have yourself suddenly get better. Uh, you need to change in order to improve. The other thing that's really important here is accepting that sometimes you're wrong. I know for some people that is definitely, I don't like being wrong. Well, sometimes Mm. you are. I don't think any of us like being wrong, but it it is one of those things where you have to take a step back and say, "Well, maybe I am wrong. Maybe maybe they had a good plan." I'm I'm pleasantly surprised sometimes. Sure. Usually doesn't feel good to be proven wrong. You should also be willing to just like not just be proven wrong, but like look at what your the other person is saying and like consider it from an unbiased point of view and say like you know, could this work? You know, do they have a point here? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, have they made it impossible for me to be right, but could they be right? Uh, try and give it the benefit of the doubt in a lot of cases, especially when you are hearing advice from players that you know are good. Mm-hmm. Also, my, my personal favorite is, I know better than such and such big name player. Mm. Statistically, unless you're one of those big players, probably not. Yeah. So here's what I do with a with a new player that brings their list, or not a new player, a player entering the competitive meta and they have a list, is I try to use what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I very much make it a situation of just like, here's what this unit's role is, and here's how you want to try and play them. Um, if you can boost up this more here, oh, here's a, here's a counter charge unit, here's a shooting unit. Uh, if you have this set up, you'll have you'll have an okay psychic phase. These powers are good. Um, and you kind of, I kind of try and lay it out to where they get the full experience of the game or the full experience of their mm-hmm. army, uh, depending if their army ha- can interact in all the phases. Um, and it's, I don't exactly make them the most competitive list all the time. Sometimes I just kind of want them to learn the game. Um, sure. so we, we make it so they incorporate everything. Cause like, it's really easy. Um, even if I'm playing a, a shooting army, if I have a solid understanding of the fight phase, cause I played stuff earlier, um, that, you know, uses the fight phase, it's way easier for me to defend myself in said phase. Mm-hmm. So when I build people that list, they, they kind of like, it, it helps them if you use what they have, um, is what I have found. But if they're not willing to listen, it, it becomes very, very difficult. I'm like, well, why did you ask in the first place? And they're like, well, you're, you're, you, you won, you're, you, you obviously were the better player this time, but what would you do? And then, and then they, they fight me and they're like, oh, I, I, I just do this with them. And I'm like, well, that's, that's okay, but... Yes. There there also is an inverse version of this where someone asks for list advice and the immediate response from uh, everyone they talk to is throw your entire list away and start a completely different army, uh, which is just as unhelpful. So I do know how to give critique advice. I have a degree in critique. Just shoot me an email. I'll teach you how to give critique. It will help you be understood by the other people and it will help you receive it better. But 
that's a discussion for another time because I can spend an hour on that alone. Oh yeah, that that may be a side story somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do our last one before we hit the intermission here. I've lived this for way too long, mm-hmm. but it is not a reason I couldn't have gotten any inch of points I couldn't have gotten in a game. It yeah. is not the reason I necessarily lost. It is just an extra hurdle to jump over. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get Planet Bowling Ball. Planet Bowling Ball is a place that not many people want to be on the receiving end of. Yep, but you you do kind of have to expect that like not all tables are going to be equal, and not all matchups are going to be equal. Uh, you knew that going into the game, especially if you're playing at your like your local store or whatever. You know what the tables look like there. You've been there before. You know that there's always that one table that is way short on terrain, or that one table that is so overcrowded you can barely put a model onto it. Um, you knew those were there, and you brought a list that was weak to them anyways, and then you got put on that table and you lost. Um, you you knew what was happening every step of the way, and you did it anyways. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't a disadvantage, you know, that matchup might have been bad for you. That table might have been bad for you. But you knew it was there, and you walked right into it without preparing for it anyways. Oh, your list gets countered by Space Marines? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You should really expect Space Marines. I'm... And Space Marines are super strong right now. Even with the nerfs? Even with the nerfs. But as... This is, you know, kind of easy. Like, you look at these like, wow, 75%. That is the highest win percentage we've just about ever had in the game up until this point. That does mean that 25% of people beat the Space Marines. And you can be in that 25% if you play well. Yes. Um, And you can take advantage of mistakes they make. That's, if you learn to the point, you can basically be like, you make a mistake, you're going to bleed for it every time. Yes. Um... It is so easy to just blame it on a, quote, bad matchup or table um, and just ignore the fact that there are ways for you to take advantage of that makeup. There are ways for you to take advantage of that table. There's things you can do even in a bad situation to still pull a game out because I guarantee you that when, you know, Lawrence Baker walks up to the table and sees a bad matchup, he does not just immediately give up and walk away. He fights for every single point in that game. And hearkening back to the mental game, you know, I've been in a spot where I got a bad deployment, mm-hmm. a bad matchup, and I'm just sitting here just sweating like, oh, F me. Um, but you got to play it. You got to do it. Every bad thing that could possibly happen to you can also happen to oh, them. Yeah. They could fail that four-inch charge. All They could fail that entire psychic phase. Um, you have to... I mean, play for your... In other games, they call it play for your outs. Yep. Uh, you have to understand that there, that there is a way out of this, that there is a winning path, that there is a flow chart that gets you to victory here, um, even if you're on that bad matchup, even if you have that bad table. Mm-hmm. And, you, and on a list design perspective... You, you know your list is going to have weaknesses going into the game. You typically have an idea of what your strong matchups are going to be and what your bad matchups are going to be. And almost all, like, the answer almost all the time on your bad matchup is, 
how do I beat the mission? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you start focusing on the mission and you start going that direction. And with the newest release in missions where there's a lot more placeable objectives, that's when that decision-making comes down. Um, and don't give up. Like, if you go, oh, let's play a bowling ball and you just deploy all willy-nilly because you don't care anymore, it's like, well, no, you could you could spend half your CP and deep strike your army. Like, mm-hmm. you can. You know, some armies have that ability to do that. And you just chose not to because you're too tilted. You, you, ha- you have to take a step back, realize there are decisions you can make. They're not the most optimal, but once again, you are approaching an, an unoptimal situation. Yeah. Um, so you have to try and do your best to try and make it optimal and yeah you might you might not have a favorable position but we're trying to make it here where you do come out favorable because once again no one ha- there there are no 8020s in this game it doesn't matter what they're playing you you can win mm-hmm. and again even good players will get those bad situations and the thing that makes them good players is that they are sometimes able to win even from that bad position yeah, a good player with a trash list can definitely be a bad player with a 100% knock out knock it out of the park medal. Absolutely. They know what they're doing. They know how to turn turn the tides, take advantage of any mistake they need uh and win a game even if their list is absolute trash. Yep. All right. Well, uh I think it is time for a little bit of a musical break here. Hear some perky little tunes, something to keep us thinking in a positive mindset. Mm-hmm. And when we come back for the second half, we'll have some other mindsets that maybe you want to do your best to avoid. Estimated time of arrival sometime this April. Twitch stream for In the Finest Hour. Cheers. Oh, darling, we don't play with retributors here. It's too cheesy. Okay, so my my big objection to this one is if you've never played with it and you refuse to play against it, how do you know anything about it? I think some players like to focus on the idea that it might not be fair in their eyes and they, you know, ban it in their garage hammer mm-hmm. or just shame people out of playing it at their art at their RTTs or whichever. And like, go ahead and shame it out of your narratives, shame it out of your stuff where you're just trying to have some fun. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to be a competitive player and, you know, participate in a competitive meta, you need to know how to play with that and deal with that. You don't you don't get the room of that. That's not on your decision. Uh, there's no GT that I know of that's done that. And let's be fair here, that sort of thing does happen occasionally. Uh, The ITC in particular has taken steps to sort of, at various points in the past, mitigate certain units and rules, especially during 7th edition. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was quite a lot of house ruling going on there to kind of make the game playable. Um, But that isn't really as necessary in 8th edition, and that is a very large decision to make. You as an individual player probably shouldn't be making it. Uh, you just, you don't have the perspective and you don't have the consensus. I will put a slight devil's advocate here because this is something I legitimately did. When I've been studying other armies, I elected not to play the new Space Marines until their nerf dropped because I knew it was coming and it wouldn't benefit me from playing against a 
object that is on the nerf block right now. But that was you playing practice games to learn things as opposed to playing competitive games. Um, if you're trying to prepare for LVO... I should avoiding... practice against crappy Space Marine armies, yes. Yes, avoiding playing Space Marines is not going to get you anywhere, even if you are 100% right and they are brutally overpowered. It doesn't matter, you still, you're going to have to play them against them in the tournament, you're going to need to be ready for them. And in the same sense, like, you may feel that an army is overpowered, maybe you're right, maybe you aren't, um, but you're not going to know until you actually play against it and learn ways to deal with it. Yeah, or play with it and learn how it collapses. Yes. Yeah, know your opponent, know everything about them, get reps. Uh-huh. Like, that's the be- that's the thing I tell mo- the people the most, like, what what makes you good at this game? Get reps in. Yes. You know, my, my gameplay has fallen way off because I'm not getting the reps I need in. Yep. I definitely was in a position um, not too long ago to, you know, win an entire GT, and I just punted. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, you know, if I, if I had played more, um, and I knew this matchup a little bit better, even though this match, you know, what I was playing against is might be considered, you know, powerful or, you know, meta breaking, but I looked at it and I went, you know what, if I had more reps against possessed bomb, I may have just won this GT and I completely screwed it up. You know, like that's on me. That's not on possessed bomb. Yes. (laughs) Uh, and speaking of a very similar idea. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I've won my past 30 games. The Big Fish Small Pond Syndrome. Oof. What this means is you are paying people that are noticeably below your level if you keep winning. Yes. You learn the most in losing. You need to be losing, not as much as you can, but you need to be losing more than your last 30 games. Right. Um, And it's not even about, like, you need to lose games, because losing games doesn't benefit you directly, but if you're not playing good enough players to beat you, you're probably not getting any better. Mm -hmm. And if you have won 30 games in a row, you're definitely punching above your weight class. If you won 10 games in a row, you're probably playing with people who aren't in your weight class. Maybe you can't find those players. Maybe you need to go out and look for them. Or maybe you need to help the players around you get better. Mm-hmm. There are options. But you don't want to be in a position where you're always winning everything. Uh, because I guarantee you, all of the people who were winning the top of the ITC spots, none of them won every single game they played in practice games. I was about to say, practice makes perfect losing in practice is going to happen yep um but practice is when you try the crazy things practice is when you innovate your list and try out particularly different things not just net listing and copying what other people have done Mm -hmm. that's how you kind of unlock your own you know skill set of like okay here's how i want to play this because even though so and so big name says this is how you play this there there are other ways to play that and try it out and then find out on your own that it's wrong Mm-hmm. Yep. Or you might find out that maybe there's something they didn't know. Maybe there's something that, the you know, some unlook, unlocked things in the codex that you could find. And that's where you're going to try it. And you're going to lose more often than not mm-hmm. trying those new things. Yeah. And it, if, if you're if you're doing the same game plan over and over again with the same list, cool. That, that puts you in a position through to in the meta shifts that you're just going to start losing again. Like, mm-hmm. you got to be able to... You know your list, know how you're going to play it, but you also have to, you know, take that time to practice, take that time to try other things, and you're 
gonna lose when you try it. Yeah. Also, if you're stomping people that are much weaker than you regularly, it just makes you that guy. Yeah. If you're not making them better. And it, it also puts you in a bad mental ma- mindset for when you do lose, mm-hmm. uh, which is not going to help that game either. Okay, so so here's one that really bugs me. So statistics say this, but it's always worked for me. Yeah. Ugh. Human perception's weird. And anecdotal evidence is the worst. It is the source of so many bad ideas. Yeah, both in and out of 40k context. Uh, but it's it's especially bad for all of the, the people in 40k who... Often this comes as part of the please help me with my list mental block. Um, where they'll, they'll ask you for help with the list and then you'll tell them, well, you know, you probably shouldn't be running Howling Banshees in this list. They're not really very good and they don't do what... You, your list needs them to do and they'll kind of cross their arms and say well they work for me mm-hmm. it's like well if you have a good argument for why they work then definitely you know give it to me i want to have this discussion with you but if your only argument is they work for me then that really doesn't say very much when i run into this one it's it's usually on just people being bad with math hammer yeah they look at something like oh my two la- my two last cannons should have killed that 10 wood model and i'm like oh well no no <laughs> no that's not how that works at all like well it worked a time before yeah it, yes but mm-hmm. um that that's not math and like well i, I roll hot <laughs> no <laughs> no you can't you can't predate your list on rolling hot we already went over this <laughs> yes uh this is like the king of mental blocks because it plays into so many others. Um, it, it's maybe the most common one is, you know, it works for me. And when it does work, it feeds the dopamine triggers, so you do it again. And that's... no. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, legitimately, there are different play styles, um, and different units are going to be more and less useful for different kinds of people as it plays into their natural tendencies and all that. And that's entirely true and accurate, but that still doesn't excuse the whole, like, two Laz Cannons should have killed your Rhino thing. Um, it's like, well, that's, no, that's not what that means. That's not how that works. Uh, start taking notes. If you keep saying these words, start taking notes, because once you have actual data to look at, you can go, I'm not as right as I thought I was. Yeah. My Wraith Knights win at my local store. Oof. Okay. Um. Here's this is another big fish, small pond one, and also it's a it's also got a little bit of uh, works for me built into it as well. <laughs> um. Just because you're winning RTTs all the time, constantly, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. Like, guys, I'm sorry, but RTTs are three rounds with like ten to fifteen players. Most of a lot of whom are, you know, no knock on players at RTTs, but are are not like top level GT and major winning players. Um, if you're lucky enough to be playing in one of those handful of regions where it's like it's populated by nothing but top fifty ITC people, and there are a couple stores that have these RTTs. I've I've certainly seen them in Best Coast before. Um, great, yeah, winning that RTT means something. But most RTTs winning them doesn't really mean a lot. Yeah, I'll be honest. My my honesty here is at the end of the day, my RTTs are my practice games. Sure. In my in my time in the ITC, I've never had an RTT score like 
actually matter at the end of the season. Um, so I, I don't I don't need those scores. Um, some of those scores aren't too far off these days. Uh, I've had some GT scores be really close to an RTT score, especially if it's a bigger RTT. But you're not going to run into. Um, it's not often you're going to run into you know high caliber players at every RTT all the time. Um, just because you're winning RTTs doesn't exactly mean you're going to step into a GT and be a big fish. Yeah. Well, in fact, I, I would argue it doesn't. I could reliably win RTT with pure gray knights. I took it to a GT, I'd get my butt kicked. Yep. Um, it, if nothing else, a lot of times, like, as Ben said, like, good players will be bringing their weird experiments to RTTs. Um, uh, because they already know what the list they're bringing to the GT next month is like. They've been playing that list for four months. Yeah. And the thing they bring to the RTT is whatever weird pile of jank they want to test out, and then they discover that one single unit combined with one stratagem from that list is maybe good enough to make their real list. Now, none of this says you shouldn't go to RTTs, or if you are a player who has not won any tournaments, you shouldn't be feel proud about winning an RTT. Winning an RTT is not a trivial accomplishment because you still had to, you know, at least win three games in a row against increasingly skilled players. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't think that makes you king of the hill just because you, you're winning an RTT. Um, yes. You can certainly take it as one of your goals, take it as an accomplishment, but don't feel like it makes you unstoppable. And this same kind of thing kind of goes for GTs and majors. You know, I've won GTs and majors. Um it doesn't make me the best player in the region. It doesn't make me king right about everything. Um, it just means that you manage to do that one thing, and you should feel good about that and move on. Yeah, this also covers players that don't exactly always play in RTTs and are talking about their leagues or their narratives or this or that. And right. It's a different environment. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta put, you gotta test your metal. Oh, speaking of which, let's hit this next one here. I don't play in tournaments. So, not exposing yourself to a variety of new players and new ideas is a self-limiting nerf, and good luck, I guess? Yeah, it's it's exactly the same thing as, uh, you know, I, I, I don't play with that because it's cheesy. It's like, how are you ever going to learn about it if you don't do it? Yeah, this is a, this is a weird one. Um, a lot of this just comes from people that have, like, hate toward the idea of either competitive play or the itc rules or whatever mission packet they're using Uh um and they're they're just like in that refusal stubborn putting their foot down and being like well i know best uh here's my kick-ass army um that i do really well with but i don't play in these tournaments because this reason this reason and they just start going down but they still want to be a better player and still think they're better than everybody else and that yeah it's a really weird mindset to be in um and like you got Take take a step back, look at yourself, um, maybe deconstruct some of these things because uh, you're 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 not as good as you say you are. And if you want to jump in and you know start competing with other players, you, you got to take that first step, and you can't just ignore it and be like, "Well, I'm only going to play these book missions." Well, that's a, that's a completely different game at that point. Yeah. And, and this goes in all directions. This goes for ITC players who refuse to play book missions, for book mission players who refuse to play ETC, ETC players who absolutely won't touch the Nova format. It doesn't matter what the format is. This can go in any direction. Um, what it's really, I, I kind of think is this is like, this is about one of the, the key skills as a competitive player is a certain amount of humility. Um, you need to accept when you're wrong and admit that you don't know everything and then try and learn more. Um, and the players who refuse to do that, who, you know, quote, know that they are the best and refuse to ever change or learn or grow, 
are not really actually very good players at all. Um, I, I knew some of these people way back in 5th edition who were actually good players, but refused to learn anything new or have any kind of meaningful discussion with people. And as the game kept growing and as people kept getting better, they got left behind. Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting left behind... Oh, yes. We have... <laughs> in 5th edition, this army was unstoppable. The edition is 8th. Yeah. Um, it's... Whatever super cool army you had might have been fun and awesome and amazing at the time. This isn't that time anymore. Uh, again, you need to learn to change and grow and adapt. Yes. Um, though that said, some of those things that were good back then are good now, so it's not worth not looking at some of the ideas, but sure, some things don't play the way they used to at all. Like, they don't work like that. Yep. You can't really build the all-jump pack Blood Angels army anymore. It's gone, I'm sorry. I loved it too, but it's gone. This quote comes with some... Usually comes innocently. Um, it's usually someone stepping back into the game. Sure. Uh, and they have an expectation. And that expectation is too high. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of got to bring them back down to earth usually. Um, but at the same time, you can show them the things that still work. Mm-hmm. And I like the build from that structure and be like, yeah, you, you take this... The, the, that thing you have in your list right now, that's actually really good. Keep that. Right. Um, just here's how the rules have changed and here's why these things aren't good anymore. Um, and here's how we can adjust and change that for you. Uh, so mostly this quote isn't exactly from um, stubborn players like we've been talking about in the past couple uh, to- past couple quotes. Mm-hmm. These more come from people that, have, that kind of set a really high expectation for bringing a list that used to do really well. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's even more recent than this. Like I, I see this, you know, with players who are bringing lists from the start of 8th edition. You know, it's like, oh, I brought my triple Storm Raven list, but somehow I still lost. And it's like, my dude, I'm sorry, but that's not the list anymore. Um, it's there's there's other newer things here, and you you just got to keep learning and adapting. That's part of the process. Yeah, don't bring my Freebooters list to <laughs> much of the meta right now, guys. Yeah, that that list that list gets absolutely stomped on by Space Marines now. It's not it's not a good time. Um, don't bring that. Speaking of which. Uh... This is one I have had some personal experience of people yelling at me. Oh, yeah. I just needed to go first. So, I always deploy assuming I'm going to get seized on, something bad is going to happen to me, because it happens. It does. And let's let's caveat this. Seize isn't a thing anymore in the ITC missions, and I think a lot of tournaments are moving away from it. Thank God. But it's it's not specifically about the seas, it's about this mentality of as long as thing happens and works, then I'll win. Um, and first of all, just like we talked about earlier, maybe you won't, uh, because it's a multi-step process, you can always roll bad, you can always have other things. Um, but when you build a list with only one plan, as soon as your opponent can disrupt that plan you lose. And if your list is based off going first every game, you're gonna you're not gonna get through a six round tournament with it. I'm sorry. You're not gonna go first six games in a row and have everything go your way. Um, if your list is built around always managing to cast protect on that one squad of jet bikes every single turn, sooner or later someone is gonna deny it or shut it down or you're just gonna fail the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't predicate your list off these single plan 
ideas. Uh, you always have to have more than one avenue to victory. Yeah, if your list becomes a Jenga tower teetering on one little brick, you're going to have a bad time. And this is this goes in a lot of decision-making in the game in general. And no matter what phase you're in, yep. uh, whether it, list building, deployment, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, like it, it, all these come down, you have to remove that situation from yourself. You'll make yourself a better player the times you start to make you know, give yourself multiple options of failure, essentially. Yeah. Uh, the more multiple options of failure you have, the more likely you are going to win because those things will happen. You'll be like, oh, okay, I kind of planned for that. Right. You don't, you, we're not going to recover from five points of failure. That sucks. NASA doesn't even plan for three points of failure. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You got, you got to have a situation where you, ha- where you can have multiple points of failure and not have your game plan revolve around it. You can bring, you know, the most kick-ass list as long as it goes first. It always wins no matter what because it's OP, it's crap. Uh, but you're still going to go 5-1 in that GT and not win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sooner or later someone is going to seize or they're going to roll to go first or you're going to get a bad deployment or one of these other things. Um, you've you've got to have a backup plan. Redundancy everywhere. Absolutely. We have talked at length about redundancy in some of our other episodes. Okay, here's... Here's maybe the worst one of these. This is kind of why we saved it for last. And I think it's the one that is going to be the single biggest obstacle to most people getting better. It doesn't make sense. My list shouldn't have lost that game. So this particular one I have had thrown in my face with the most venomous salt and often insults. Yeah. Probably because they lost to a shitty Great Knights list, but... Yeah, well, it... When you say, when you get into that mentality of, I shouldn't have lost, I think that indicates that there were so many other things that went wrong during that game, things you weren't paying attention to. We said earlier, you know, even the worst lists are still, like, 25% chance. There is no 80-20. Your 25, 30, 40% chance of winning that game, as soon as you get into this mentality of, I can't lose, you're setting yourself up for that loss. The other thing I've seen it assigned being is that you did not give yourself emotional space to process what just happened during the game and after the game. Yeah, you you need to be because you will lose games and you, and you need to be ready for that uh, on some level or another. You also lose games that you have that you have the favorable win on. Yeah, like I've been in position where like where I you know I've I've said this quote. You know, after getting tilted, losing game, like mm-hmm. how the hell did I lose that? And two of these things have re- happened to me recently, where I kind of had I had to step away, and I was like, "Wow, that really sucked." And then I looked at it, and I realized I was playing differently because I had that favorable advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to play. Uh, well, they'll kind of listen to the end of this, but you need to play as if you know, as if you're from behind or as if you're losing, you can't get too, you know, stuck up on your, on your win and start making, uh, you know, small mistakes or, you know, not playing things out like, Oh, I forgot to move my grot squad over here to, you know, score, you know, this, this, this objective when I was playing too fast and just like, Oh, I'm, I'm obviously winning. Let me just keep going. And then all of a sudden the, the game swings and turn four, five, six. Yep. Uh, and you're like, well, what the heck just happened? Well, you started playing poorly because you thought you had the advantage. Yes. Uh, I think that's a very common one for players of all skill levels, but it's it can be especially insidious for better players, uh, because you come into a matchup and you look at the other list, or you know who the person is, and you're just like, oh, they can't win this one, I got this. Um, and we've all done this. 
Uh, I, I know I've done it before where I get blindsided by a list and I'm just like, I shouldn't have lost that. And then I, like, a little bit later, sometimes it does take some time and a little bit of space and you can come into it and then be like, well, you know, I lost that game because I moved wrong and I shouldn't have charged that unit and I should never have been in denial range because there was no reason for me to be and all these little things that when you feel, uh, you know, I can't lose this game you're lying to yourself because you absolutely can lose this game and you're the one who lost it for yourself in most of those cases. Mm-hmm. Think about it like you're on, like you're a race car driver. Do mm-hmm. you let off the gas because you're in first place? Yeah. No! The answer to that is no. <laughs> and, and I think that kind of encapsulates really what we want this, this whole episode to be about is like, to, to tie all these together, because, you know, the, we've sort of talked about these all, they're separate, but really they all come back around to that same idea of you need to be looking at your losses and asking what you could have done better, not what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this kind of thing also includes things like failed lists and all that kind of stuff, but usually lost games are the ones where it's the easiest to see. Yes. And you can also like, if you win a game, you can sit there like, how did I win this game? Well, and actually one of the things I really like to do is when I win a game, I look at what mistakes I made. Mm -hmm. Because you can absolutely make really big mistakes and still win a game. But I like to step back and say, okay, I won that game. What should I have done differently, even though I won? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to gloss over your mistakes when you're winning, yeah. um, but you'll be actually surprised at how many mistakes you made in yep. a game you won. Um, record yourself. Make an after-action yeah. report. Discuss with your opponent. Always discuss your opponent. Like, have a friendly conversation of just like, hey, do you think I did anything wrong in that game? Because like, they're they're going to have a different perspective, and they're like, oh, I thought this was a mistake, and I was going to take advantage of that. Um, and uh, that's, the, that's the things I like to point out to my opponents, because they'll be like, oh, I felt I did everything right. And if you're if your opponent's not in agreeance, you should hear that. You should hear why they felt what you did was a mistake and how they beat you. Like a lot of times, it comes down to that. Like, how did they beat you? Ask them. Feel free. Well, this is an open information. Most people are friendly. Um, not all, but most. But most people, most people will be more than happy to have a, a conversation after the game and take everything with a grain of salt because they're not automatically right any more than you are, but definitely listen to what they have to say because they're going to have a very different perspective on that game is, and they may see things that you didn't even know you missed. Yeah. I, I, I had this conversation when I lost to you in RTT, Sean, I was like, I looked at oh, it yeah. and I was like, I was like, Oh, I made a really big spacing error right there. If I just do this like normal, I don't have that issue. And this game's a bit easier. Whoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is, and there was definitely a couple things in that game that I, misplayed as well that we we talked a little bit about after it but there's always things you can change and things you can learn from every single game Um, whether you win or lose but especially when you lose talk to your opponent and look at what happened and talk to your other friends who were maybe watching the game or that you know have some questions to ask afterwards because i know a lot of times when shay and i are driving home from a tournament we'll talk about our games um and we'll bring up things that maybe neither of us thought about during those games it's like well did you consider reserving this unit and then bringing it in later um and there's just there's always possibilities ways that you could have turned that game to your advantage Mm-hmm. And not to be devil's advocate, but this is sometimes where you find out usually if you got cheated. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's that's a rough one, but you, it's when you learn it. Yes, you. 
the way you can look at that is I learned my lesson there. I'm not going to get cheated again. Mm-hmm. I made that mistake that time. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I forgot about that rule. I won't forget it next time. Yes. You can always fail forward. Always. Because you can't change what happened to you already, but you can change what you do about it in the future. The way I look on it is you want to go forward. So if you're going to fall, fall forward, roll, and get back up on your feet as you move. Absolutely. That's actually a great way to avoid getting hurt in real life. Well, yes. I don't (laughs) think we're going to try and give too much uh, physical advice in a podcast format. I don't think that's going to pan out real well as uh, listening audio. Uh, But in terms of uh, maybe broad philosophical advice, very good. (laughs) So... Hopefully everyone has managed to spot at least one of their own mental errors. I know I saw quite a few of my own in this episode, uh, hence the reason we decided to record it. Uh, If you have any questions or you want to talk to us about this or maybe you want some help with a list or maybe you find yourself hitting a mental block and you don't know what it is, then go ahead and contact us. Uh, We are in the finest hour at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group. And if you would really like to get some more in-depth advice, you want to maybe help us support the podcast and contribute a little bit of money for five bucks a month, we do have a Patreon also in the finest hour, um, where it gets you access to not only our private Facebook group, but also the Discord server, where we all kind of chat about what we're doing, talk about the tournaments we're going to go to, reminisce about life events, prepare meetups. We're going to have a, probably a meetup in another month or two here with some of our Northwest listeners. Also, it does things like uh, improve Ben's audio. Yes, that this is pretty much all of the money that comes from our Patreons basically is getting recycled back into better equipment and hosting and all of this kind of stuff. The money is used to keep the lights on. We don't actually make money off of this. No, uh, we really do appreciate everything that our Patreons do for us. So thank you very much for making all of this possible. Uh, and also thank you to Dank Muse, who provides the intro, outro, and intermission music for our podcast. You can find him on Spotify, YouTube, or SoundCloud. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our excellent iconography art, and Stephanie Sherman for doing our shirts. And I'd like to let, remind everyone that if they have something that they want us to advertise in this podcast, whether it be a service or a product or anything like that, feel free to contact us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com. All right. I think that wraps us up for the week. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about playing other armies, ways you can branch out from your current faction and improve both your gameplay and your knowledge of the game by doing so. Spoiler alert, I can beat Tower really reliably now that I've played them. Yes. Yes, you can. So, uh, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shaylin Allen. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening.